Hello there and welcome to Friday Formula, a new motorsport podcast hosted by myself, Owen Bellwood, and my colleague over here, Will Longman. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We're going to aim to take apart the week's motorsport news. And as it's pre-season, there's not a lot of news around at the moment, we're going to do predictions for the 2021 Formula One season. It's essentially a conversation that we would have over text but we've decided to bung microphones in front of us and see if anyone might actually be interested in what we have to say or keep it on record so we can look back at the end of the season and see which one of us was right and which one of us was wrong. Indeed. The texts were also getting a bit long, so I was contemplating voice memos, but I wasn't sure how that would go down. No, I think that's quite an intimate thing, isn't it? I've never sent one or been sent one, so I don't know at what level of friendship you have to have. You just feel like you were missing out. Yeah, I just wanted to be involved. (laughs) So as we said, we're going to try and think of some predictions for the 2021 Formula One season. We'll have testing in two weeks and then a race a few weeks after that. So we're going to talk through the 10 teams that we've got on the grid, see how they performed last year and with relatively stable rules, how we think they're going to fare over the coming proposed 23 races. Yeah, so we're going to go in reverse championship order from 2020 right mm-hmm. well yeah go for them where where have you got where have you got williams finishing 2021 so i think williams are going to have an interesting year i'm incredibly hopeful that we will see them scoring points again i think first year under new ownership sadly the first year without the williams family at the helm hopefully they're going to be able to bring in some new sponsors a little bit more investment and see those results come in. So I have been incredibly optimistic and said that Williams will finish nine. I've done the same. <laughs> what, what was your reasoning for thinking that they'll be able to make up that spot? My reasoning mainly comes from who I've put in 10th. I feel like we might have put the same team in 10th. Yeah. I do have, oh yeah, I have some points on Williams. So... They improved in 2020. George made Q2 numerous times. Mm. Um, Nicholas wasn't quite there, but he was the only rookie on the grid last year. Yes. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, which is a difficult position to be in. He also showed some quite good race pace. There were a few times when he, like, was it Styria, when he finished 11th. So he did have some good Sundays. It's just polishing his Saturday I think Uh, yeah I think we normally see I mean look at George I know he's in a slightly better car but now he's mixing it in Q2 with the likes of like Alpha and Haas Mm. or beating them at least if Nicholas can start putting his car there as well then yeah but when it comes to Sunday you know George is Mr. Saturday Mm. he didn't really prove himself as Mr. Sunday in in the Williams last year he was unlucky in the Merc that's a completely different story that's like that'll give him some confidence I think but let's kind of ignore that. He had an amazing opportunity to score points in uh, Imola. He crashed under the safety car. He would have, it was almost like a dead cert that he was going to go in and get points. He was in 10th, 10th or 9th. And I wonder if the pressure slightly got to him. Whereas now, I think he's probably got his head screwed on a little bit more. He's had some time with Mercedes. He's going to feel like a real contender in that car. Hmm. Not that he's gonna he's not gonna go in on win races in that car, but he's gonna know that he is a great driver. Yeah. 
and he's got those points. He's not there with that potential record for the most races without points hanging around his neck. I imagine that'll lift a little bit of the pressure and hopefully him and Latifi will be able to work together as a really good team to try and push Williams forward this year to the high place of ninth. <laughs> this is the this is the thing though. When we say Williams is going to score points, do you think more than one car is going to score points all season? No, I think it'll be the case that there'll be these crazy races where Williams end up playing in the points. And it's just making sure that either driver can capitalise on that. Because the regulations are relatively similar to last year. It's been six months or so since they got the new owner. So there's not going to have been a super amount of investment in their research and development and being able to improve the car where it needs improving. So I think it is probably still going to be a struggle for the team. But hopefully with Nicholas having an extra year of experience, George having that bit of confidence from the Mercedes, they maybe won't choke at these opportunities that we maybe saw them struggle at last year. The case with all of these lower down teams, it's just capitalising on the mistakes of others and being able to grab those points to work their way up to 8th, ninth. Definitely. Well, you mentioned that they're going to have to like be there to pick up the scraps. But 2019... They were rock bottom, but they weren't pointless. Mm. Robert Kubica picked up a single point at Hockenheim in that crazy race when only 11 cars finished. No, 13 cars finished. Both of the Alphas got disqualified. So 11 cars were classified and still George Russell was the only car that didn't score a point, which is gutting. But it's that picking up the scraps. Mm. And I think there is only one car that's going to do it. I don't think Nicholas... He might do. He might get lucky, but I think you all, you always think George is going to do it. But what I think we want to see is them do it on like a wet race where kind of it's everything off the table. It kind of doesn't matter what engine you've got. It's just driving skill. Yeah. But then also they might finish with no points and still finish ninth. I can see them finishing in the bottom ten all season and being above the team we both put in tenth because I think we both know who we put in tenth on our right positions throughout the season. I think their average position will be higher than this team. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, last year's ninth place finishers were Haas F1 team. Where have you put them for 2021? I have put them in 10th. I have put them in 10th. Well. <laughs> Go on then. Why have you put them in 10th? I just think it's been a tough couple of years for Haas. When they first came on the scene, uh, it was quite exciting to see this new American team that had come in with a new way of approaching Formula One. It was when uh, there was still quite a bit of excitement around people like Romain Grosjean. So seeing him jump in this new team, it was a pretty cool thing to see. And then they just kind of stumbled a little bit. And then 2019 was tough with like sponsorship and consistencies on the team. And then 2020 was just even worse, where they just didn't seem to have a hold of the car. I can't see that improving over the winter break, and then also to have two rookies that aren't particularly going to know what a good F1 car should feel like. So whereas someone like Grosjean might be able to say, this doesn't feel right, this is how it should feel, they're just going to be like, this doesn't feel right. So I don't know how much development they'll be able to do through the year because of that. 
you've hit the nail on the head. Like I think it's that's exactly what what I've got. You you know, Mick Schumacher is a Schumacher. Like he he knows how to drive an F one car, but not to the extent that Roman Grosjean, who has been in the sport for a decade, and Kevin Magnussen, who hasn't been in the sport for that long, but you know has had podiums, uh, has driven for teams like McLaren, mm-hmm. Renault. And can give feedback, and it seemed like last year they got to the point where they were so frustrated with the car. I can't imagine what it was like in in briefings. I think you kind of saw someone drive to survive. What it was like, but drive to survive was two thousand and nineteen when they still had a slightly more successful year. Two thousand and nineteen, they had twenty eight points, and then two thousand and twenty, they had only three. Yeah, that's a big difference in results. But how much of that do you put down to the Ferrari power unit being a bit diminished? That's obviously an issue that hopefully might have been resolved a little bit. But I still don't think it will it will push them. Well, I think I think they'll still be going down. Mm. I think it was telling that last season when it you know it all came out that Grosjean and Magnussen weren't staying, and they were not afraid of kind of saying this car is slow. Yeah, like there is nothing more they can do, and I don't think. Mick and Nikita will be able to do that. I also think, from what I've seen of Nikita Mazepin in F2... It's going to be a handful. Yeah, he's a volatile driver. He makes snap, risky decisions that don't often... It's high risk, high reward. Like, I'm a Man United fan. We've just got a player in called Bruno Fernandes who is seen as a high risk, high reward player. And he'll like play a ball that might be risky. And if it pays off, then we score a goal. If you do that kind of thing with overtaking in Formula One, and like, right, I'm too far back, but I'm going to try and shove it down the inside, it's going to cause a crash. You're going to be out of the race. The worst thing for me is his defending. We had some, there were some pretty shaky moves in F2 last year when we, I mean, we saw it with, uh, I remember seeing Grosjean at Silverstone last year. He had some kind of moving twice under braking. Yeah. But that was nothing compared to what we saw Nikita doing in F2. Well, he was he was in a great position in Spa to win the race. In fact, did he cross the line in first in Spa? But he was given a five second penalty, so Sonoda came in first, and he came in, and that's why he knocked the podium board over because he crossed the line first. But Yuki got the win. Yeah. Let's be honest; it's going to be great entertainment. It kind of will be worth tuning in for, but it's risky. I also don't know if it's what you want in F one either. Obviously, everyone's excited to see exciting racing, but there's a difference between exciting racing and crashing into people. Like, look at the reputation Danny Kvyat had, and that was from crashed into Seb once in China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's it stuck with him through his whole career. And I feel like F2... F2 is there for the, for the F1 teams to look at the drivers and go, right, who isn't doing stuff like that? Who can we trust with our car? Well, the very fundamental is who's not going to crash our car and then it's who's going to drive our car well and who might win in our car. And that's why recently you've had the likes of, you know, Russell, Leclerc, Norris all come through that. Mm. But especially with a team like Haas that are working on a budget, they don't want someone that's going to be trashing chassis every other week. But I think hopefully if the Ferrari engine is improved, hopefully they'll have a little bit more pace getting to Q2 a few times. I think it'll all come down to like the development of the car and how they work as a team. Yeah. And from what you saw last year, that you know, they, they made some great calls. 
what was the race? Was it Hungary, where it was the formation lap, and they both pitted mm. and started from the pit lane? That was probably the race where they got their three points. <laughs> yeah, they were both really high up, and Grosjean fell down the order, and Magnussen kind of hung on a bit. No, that was a great call, and it would be nice to see the team working and thinking of these little quirky moves that they can make. But again, I think you only got, you're only getting that because you've got two pretty experienced drivers in your car. I hope that, you know, going into 2021, Gene Haas doesn't decide to pull the plug because there's clearly not been any improvement. They're going down, whereas they, you know, have had some pretty good seasons in the past. And Mr. Mazepin wouldn't have bought into the team, I guess, if he didn't see a future in it. He's going to want to see Nikita in, in the car for a few years, I guess, for as long as he can. Yeah, and look at Racing Point with Lawrence Stroll at the lead. They've come on leaps and bounds. Yeah, should we move on? So, uh, eighth place last year was Alfa Romeo. And where have you got them next year? I've got them eighth again. Me too. Oh, I couldn't have planned this. I know, I know. I'm so in sync. <laughs> yeah, I feel like last year I just always wanted a bit more out of the Alfa. It was the best looking car on the grid. It had Kimi Raikkonen, obviously world champion, and has his moments of absolute brilliance. Like, uh, I can't remember which race it was last year, but he got up from way by the back up into the points in the opening lap, which was amazing to see. Mm. But I think it also lacked from the Ferrari power and just needing that little bit more oomph, which hopefully we'll have this year. They're one of the first teams to unveil a car, so hopefully that shows they've got a lot of confidence in it and they're ready to take on the 2021 season and score a few more points. Yeah, I think Antonio also had a couple of storming laps opening laps last year did you see the f1 posted a video a couple of days ago of kind of his opening laps in 2021 and he made up a lot of places but he's i mean i don't know why antonio giovinazzi is still on that seat i think it's the most underwhelming driver lineup on the grid this year yeah and it's got kimi raikkonen in it that's saying something right yeah i think everyone would have liked to see callum eilert in that seat after the year he had an f2 Mm -hmm. but for me the kicker and i've said this to you before owen the kicker was when Carlos Sainz was announced for the Ferrari seat and Antonio Giovinazzi came out and said that he didn't feel he was ready Mm. for the Ferrari seat. And I thought, you're in the Ferrari junior seat, the only one on the grid. This is why you're here. There's no other reason why you're in an Alfa Romeo seat other than to get you ready for the Ferrari seat. And you've had two years, uh, two years and a few races and a couple of previous seasons. And you're 20, he's 27 now, isn't he? 26, 27. Mm. When are you going to be ready? Yeah, that was the thing I found strange. And it was a similar story with Renault, how Ferrari and Renault have these huge young driver programs, but they didn't have people that they wanted to pick from and bring up to their senior teams. So obviously it's great that Carlos is going to Ferrari, but it defeats the whole purpose of the program if you've got someone in that junior Formula One seat at Alfa Romeo. Why aren't they then being brought up to join Charles? Yeah, it didn't it didn't make any sense. And now he's in a season where he's got nothing to aim for because that's what that seat is for, right? That's what Charles was in there for. And within a season, he made the step up. Mm-hmm. I don't really know where Antonio is going to go from here. I think this is his peak, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of agree. It'll be interesting to see how he is able to stake his claim to that seat through the year. But I don't know what kind of results you can get in that car. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess what we've, what we've spoken about isn't really anything to do with how they're going to do next year. It's just us complaining about the Ferrari juniors. 
it does it does all depend and this is very much with Haas as well on what Ferrari can do with that power unit yeah. I don't think we have much to say on Alpha do we? No not really I like the new livery hopefully it goes fast well that's another thing so I think I mentioned to you the other day it's interesting how they've got that Polish connection mm. um, and I think with Robert Kubica the car launch was in Poland and I think the, the car now looks more like a Polish flag they've flipped mm. the white to be the top of the bo- but the point being is that Robert has had a year now doing free practice sessions, doing testing with them. He's going to do testing again. He's an experienced driver. He was probably something that kept Williams on the road from having a rubbish car to making those improvements because he could mm. give that great feedback last year. With him and Kimmy giving feedback on the car and you know Antonio as well, they could make something great. Um, it's the opposite to what, to what Haas have. They have two great drivers that have tons of experience, even though one of them is not racing for them. Uh, could actually help them come along leaps and bounds. So uh, Alpha Romeo finished eighth in 2020, and in seventh was Alpha Tauri, ex Toro Rosso team, rebranded for 2020 with a swanky new livery. It was it was a good year for them. It was. I think Kvyat had similar to what Perez had at Racing Point, where when he didn't have his seat, he actually started performing relatively okay and had some had some good races. Yeah, it was kind of like he needed to prove himself at the start of the year, didn't manage to, but then must have felt more comfortable and just able to do whatever he wanted and went off and got his good results. Yeah, whereas I feel Pierre Gasly, obviously, he had the win at Monza and he had some other great races. Hmm. But I don't... I think he was an easy pick for driver of the season for a lot of people. And I don't think he was the number one driver, like regardless of what car he was driving. I think his performances were good, but I don't think they were incredible he had a few like really standout moments and they were the things people remembered from those crazy races um so it'll be exciting to see how he grows into the role of a team leader because i don't think last year or the year before there was that number one driver team leader figure at the team and the only experience he's had with it has been with max verstappen as the team leader at red bull when he was there so I don't know how that's going to go or what the dynamic's going to be like between him uh, and Yuki Tsunoda, who's obviously coming in for his first year and kind of needs to have that person to look up to. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, Yuki is Yuki's an interesting one because he feels like it's just, he's just completely come out of nowhere. Mm. Like, he was in F3 in 2019. Yeah, it's crazy. It's rapid. It is rapid. But it just goes to show the talent he has, like, speaks for itself. It's interesting that team principal Franz Tostas said that he's expecting some crashes from Yuki this year. So it'll be interesting to see how having those extra DNFs that he's predicting will affect their position in the championship. But I'm also just excited to see uh, Yuki up and fighting in that really tight midfield because the Alpha is in a position to be going up against the the Alpines, the Astons and the McLarens, Mm. dicing for those sort of a podium if something crazy happens but also just these higher points positions and i i think that goes to prove what you just said about franz tost the the real difference between red bull and christian horner and tauri and mm-hmm. or the junior team and franz tost over the last few years because when gasly went back to toro rosso in 2019 he loved it mm. and he hated it in red bull and when he was in Red Bull, he had a crash in testing and it was the end of the world. And again, like Christian Horner comes out and drives to survive and it's like, oh, yeah, well, he broke a rear wing and that cost us 300 grand, blah, blah, blah. I know there's a difference between going into Red Bull and going into Alfa but coming into F1 and being told, 
we don't mind if you crash the car like you're expected to do that the yeah. pressure is off it's completely off and you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it more i think that's going to be the real difference between yuki Tsunoda and then people like mick schumacher and nikita mazapan alpha tauri it's not going to be the end of the world for the owners if they do have these crashes because it's effectively a junior team whereas haas is there as the haas f1 team to be promoting haas automation and if they're having crashes and it, it hitting their limited budget a lot more they're obviously going to not feel as relaxed and feel more stressed about the situation and maybe not be able to perform so you mentioned they're in with alpine aston where where did we haven't actually said where we're going to put them no because i really struggled with the next one <laughs> Uh, because the next in 2020 was Ferrari. No, we've not said where we're going to put Alpha Tauri. Is that because we both put them seventh again? I put them seventh. Yeah, I put them seventh too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, we are, this is episode one and we are full of the hot spicy takes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you wait. None of mine is spicy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so if Ferrari is next, I'm expecting this to be somewhere, <laughs> a, 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 at least a too chilly heat. So Ferrari finished sixth last year. It was a shocking year for them. They got 131 points, so they were only marginally ahead of Alpha Tauri. And then there was a big gap from them to Renault because they just had an absolute dog of a car. And they effectively only had one driver as well because Seb was struggling to get the car under control for the whole year. So I think it was a toss-up. I've eventually gone for the safe option. Uh, and I've said that they'll come sixth again this year. Ooh, but it, was, okay. it was either sixth or third. <laughs> I was like, they're going to go one or the other. <laughs> I think my heart says sixth. Well, I've gone for neither. And I've said they're going to win the... No, not really. I've said they're going to go <laughs> <laughs> uh, fourth. I've gone fourth. It was tough picking between the next four teams. It does. I think this might be where we actually finally have some variation. <laughs> Yeah, so Ferrari, it was a dog a dog of a car is the perfect way to put it. But it didn't seem like it at the beginning of the season when Charles was pulling out podiums. He was on the podium in Austria, he was in the podium at Silverstone with Lewis, and he would have been on the podium in Turkey had he not pushed it a bit too hard on the last lap and then Seb got there anyway. Whether Seb that was Seb's experience coming out, that's a little bit different because of the circuit, it was a wet race. Seb couldn't get a handle of that car at all. No, and I think if there was all these rumours going around that they had different cars, but I think it was just more suited to Charles's driving. Seb's been in F1 since 2008. So he's been, this is not his first rodeo, it's his 13th year. And it was a rubbish car, and it was a car that wasn't behaving like he should have. And so he's going to be sat there going, I don't know why this isn't turning the way it should. I don't know why this is so slow. I don't know how to get the speed out of this. It was Charles's third F1 car. So maybe he was a little bit more adaptable to what he needed to do to keep it where it needed to be. Charles doesn't... He has his style, but he just knew what he needed to do to get that car in the right place at the right time, whereas Seb couldn't. I don't think they're going to have the same problems as they did last year. I think they're going to pull it back with the power unit because if they don't, it will be a disaster. It will be a complete disaster if they don't. Yeah, because imagine the engine freeze at the end of the year, trying to develop the power unit this year ahead of the freeze and also developing next year's car with the whole new regulations. It's just going to be a write-off for the team until like 2025 when the new engine rules yeah. come, which they just can't can't have. No, the car was was terrible. 
not just it wasn't just a power unit problem it, it was a car problem as well but it's the last year of the regulations so they can just catch up with everyone else mm. yeah they had their team launch uh, and afterwards Matteo Bonotto has said that they've clawed back a bit of the performance and they've got rid of a bit of the drag so hopefully it will be a little bit closer to some of the other teams and there were moments last year when both Seb and Charles pulled out some great moves but there was also racing against each other Styria, where Charles went bounding down and crashed into Seb, that was a disaster. And then it was in Sakia, I think after the second start, where Seb blamed Charles for cutting across him and kind of ruining his race and he lost loads of positions. So what's going to be interesting is seeing the dynamic between Charles and Carlos, which I discovered, or at least realised the other day, Carlos in English is Charles, and it made me very happy to learn that I'm I'm over the moon. Yeah, it's the same name in two different languages. Ah, it's great. Do you reckon Nikita is Michael in Russian? No. Okay. <laughs> the team has definitely invested in Charles for the future. He is going to form the basis of Ferrari's evolution and growth over the coming years. And they may not say that one of them's a number one and one of them's a number two, but how long are they going to be able to race against each other? There's going to come a point when one of them's ahead in points. Someone's going to be on the blower saying, don't race, let them win or let them hold the position. And I don't know how either of them is going to take that. Because Carlos was the leader at McLaren, he's not going to want to go from being a team leader at the third-place finishing team in 2020 to being a number two driver at the sixth-place finishing team. But I think what he's got to do, if he doesn't want that situation, is outperform him in qualifying. I think Ferrari are a team that are fair, in that, like, yeah, there are all those things about, you know, their... They left Seb out to dry last year a little bit and kind of they kind of screwed him over with the strategy a bit. But I think if they were in that position, they would say hold position because the driver in front would probably be fine. I, th- I think they'd be fair in that way. Whereas they tried to be fair last year, the season before, and they proved it in Russia when they had this whole plan that Charles was going to supply the slipstream at the start for Seb down that straight. And then Seb was like, well, he's got to catch up. I'm not going to let him pass. And that was Seb's fault. That wasn't Ferrari's fault. Ferrari were trying to be fair with that. And I think that's Seb's old-fashioned... Seb's got history with that, right? Multi-21 at Red Bull. He does what he needs to do to win. And are Charles and Carlos going to be like that? Or are they going to play fair? I hope it's going to be fairer between the two. But then it also kind of feels like Carlos is there as sort of a placeholder and they're waiting for Mick Schumacher to be up into that seat. But then are we going to be sat here in two years' time? I mean, again, this is episode one of this podcast. If this goes on for another two years, I'd be very impressed. Um, Talking about Mick Schumacher and and Charles and who they're going to prefer over strategy and, and calls like that because Mick Schumacher is going to be the poster boy. But I'm sure Charles Leclerc will have three world championships by that point. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but no, a big year for Ferrari. Hopefully it'll be better than last year. I'm sticking with sixth place in the standings for them, though. Okay, so who, who have we got next? In fifth place in 2020 was Renault, who will become Alpine. Alpine. Yeah, so it was very close between the next three teams. In 2020, Renault had 181 points. Racing Point BWT Mercedes, 195, and McLaren Renault, 202. So only sort of 20 points between three teams. And it did all come down to the final race. Yeah, it was Sakira as well that kind of swung it because Racing Point ended up having a massive swing of points on the podium. And so did Renault with Ocon coming second. But yeah, it was nice having it come down to the final race, but then it didn't feel like it came down to the final race because it was so boring. (laughs) 
and Racing Point, Sergio Perez was out, wasn't he? Yeah. But Renault this year, I have said third. Hang on. No, we're doing Renault. Yeah, third. So obviously McLaren had a great start to the year with Lando on the podium and then some other really good results throughout the year, Carlos on the podium. But I feel like the consistency with Renault was a bit more and it seemed like they'd made really big bounds on with the power unit. Also, if they're getting on top of the aerodynamics of the car and it's coming out with a fast car, they'll hopefully be in a good position at the start of the year. Esteban Ocon's had an extra year behind the wheel. He's more integrated in the team. He knows what's going to be going on. And then they've also got this new driver. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's called Fernando Alonso. Fernando. I think all of those things are going to line up together. They're going to have a sparkly blue livery and they're going to come third. I used to trust you. <laughs> I don't know if I do anymore. I've even got a hat nearby. Yeah, that's lovely. And that's got a nice three on it, but I don't think that's where they're going to come. Yeah, it does have a nice three. Well, I think that's part of the reason why I don't think they're going to come as high up. I think, you know, a big part of the reason they were in that fight last year is because I know it was a crazy season and had a load of unexpected results. But would you have put Daniel Ricciardo to have not one but two podiums in the Renault at the beginning of the year? No. And I wouldn't have put Esteban Ocon to ever have a podium either. But the races that Ricardo did it weren't crazy races. They were just races that he kept his head down. And yeah, in a straight line, they were great at certain tracks, as they have been in previous years. I just don't think they're going to keep up. I think Alonso isn't the driver he once was. No, maybe not. But it's all, it's just exciting, isn't it? I think I've just got whipped up in all the hype. <laughs> <laughs> You're a victim of the marketing. I think if you... If you put Fernando Alonso in the car in the races that Daniel Ricciardo got his podiums, I don't think he'd get the podiums. The other thing that made me put them in third was the other teams that are going to be in our third and fourth positions respectively have a lot of hype around them because Racing Point has got all this investment now, is now Aston Martin, McLaren is switching to Mercedes engines, but I don't know how much difference those changes are going to make this year. Whereas Renault is changing its name to Alpine, but that's the only difference. In terms of the carryover and the consistency from year to year, I think that might help them. I think I disagree. I mean, obviously I disagree, but I disagree with the McLaren point in that there's going to be a a massive change when they move to Mercedes engines and that they're also allowed to do a lot more development on the car because they're, they're changing engine. And not only is it a better engine than the Renault is... It's a more reliable engine as well. Is it a more reliable engine, though? Because Renault had a few issues at the beginning of the season. I think neither car finished the first race. And yeah, they've had a few retirements. But so have Merck. The Mercedes engine has had plenty of retirements. Not so much in their own car, in, in, the, in the works team. It's because they're playing off all the dodgy engines to other teams. I don't think I can say that. <laughs> Toto Wolf is writing out the lawsuit as, as we speak. Where have you put Alpine? I put them sixth. I think they come in. I think they come in bottom of the midfield pack. Basically, that's all I think. I think Ferrari are going to make the big leap, and they're going to kind of remain where they are. I can actually see a very fiery year between Ocon and Alonso, because Ocon wasn't afraid to get his elbows out when he was at Racing Point with Sergio Perez. He's going to be in a fighty mood because it's it, he's been there for a year. It's his team. It's not though, is it? Because Fernando Alonso is going to come in and he's going to be the number one driver straight away. It's going to be his team. It's got to be done his way. Mm. And that's not necessarily going to happen. And I, I can see it getting a bit feisty. a bit. I think it's the second most feisty driver pairing we'll have. Have we gone over the first? We've not got to the first yet. 
So sixth for Renault for you, slash Alpine, third for me. Fourth in 2020 was Racing Point, who will be Aston Martin in 2021. And I have put them in fifth. So have I. Yeah, it's it's a big year marketing-wise for this team. I don't think it's going to be a massive year for them on track. I think it's great that they've got Sebastian Vettel, but I think this is going to be the really telling point for him on is his F1 career actually coming to the end of his days or does he have life in him still? Was it just a blip at Ferrari last year? I think it'll be great to see how Lance is this year because he had his pole position in Turkey, which was... It was amazing. It was so good. Yeah. And so hopefully his performances like that are going to make him kind of lose this daddy's boy stereotype. He's clearly a very talented driver, and I'm quite excited to see how he can learn from a world champion. So I think having that elder statesman in the team that can bring this advice and knowledge base will be great to see. I think he has lost that daddy boy stereotype already. I think he's proved that it wasn't a fluke when he got that Baku um, podium in his in his first season. I genuinely think his pole position was one of the moments of the season last year. It was the fact that it came out of nowhere. Everyone expected Max to to take that pole. And everyone talks about, you know, when it rains or you're on a rubbish track surface and have no grip like Turkey was like, then it's all about driver ability. And that's what comes out on top. And then all of a sudden, Lance Stroll's there. Yeah, it was obviously a shame in the race when they just made the wrong call. Well, it was damage, wasn't it? I think they ended up saying that he picked up a bit of damage from Bottas's front wing. He had two podiums. He had one in Sakir and one in... He was on the podium in Monza, wasn't he? I think they were both a bit of luck, probably. Yeah, but you could argue that any podium that isn't Mercedes or Red Bull is down to a bit of luck. You couldn't with Daniel Ricciardo's. Oh, yeah, but he's just brilliant. So um, I think it'll be a telling year for him. It'll be interesting getting the experience of Seb as a world champion and what he can bring. Because isn't this... Is it his fifth year? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So... He's not a young driver, he's still young. He's like the same age as me. <laughs> but in terms of experience he's got, he does have a fair whack of experience himself. Is he the same age as Max? He was born on the 29th of October, 1998. Uh, Max is the of September, 1997. Oh, so pretty much a year in it. Yeah. So what we're saying is in 12 months' time, Lance Stroll's going to be at the standard of Max Verstappen. Yeah. I would really love Lance Stroll to have a really maturing year and just come out the blocks and kick everyone's ass push Aston Martin into third place and go to a top team. So do you want to see him step away from a Lawrence-owned team? Yeah, could you imagine if he has like a blinding year and enters the Mercedes conversation? That's not going to happen, though. No, okay, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'd love to see it happen. (laughs) Yeah, it would be great. I think it's more likely that him and Seb push Aston forward and then it's like, oh, he belongs in that seat. And if you've had a really good year with Aston Martin... There's not many teams you're going to want to step away from that into. Company cars just not going to be as good. <laughs> so where have you suggested they'll finish? Fifth. Okay. There's also the excitement that this year some of the safety cars will be Aston Martins. Oh, so they're going to lead so many laps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where have you put them? Have we said? We both said fifth. So who who's up next? Third place in 2020 was McLaren-Renault. I have suggested that McLaren will come fourth in 2021 oh because yeah because you got alpine above them yep i have said they're gonna stay third which i hope they do i just think alpine are gonna have a storming year i I still think that's bold one of us had to say something bold oh yeah you don't know who i've got winning yet (laughs) yeah mclaren i'm very excited about this year um 
Daniel Ricciardo is obviously my driver of choice. So I'm excited to see him there. Nice to have them with the Mercedes engine. They've obviously, like you said, had a little bit more development than other people to get that engine to fit. But they clearly had a lot of momentum last year. Hopefully they'll bring that into this year and keep building on it and building on it and get those podiums when they can, get those points when they need them and just have a solid midfield year. But still not as good of a year as Alpine. No, not as good. <laughs> I think they are going to keep the standard up. Lando is going to continue his progress as an F1 driver. He had a pretty good year last year. He had a good race in Abu Dhabi. He had a brilliant race in Austria. He qualified decently. His race pace was fine. It was a hopefully a bridge year. He went from being really frustrated in 2019 with feeling slow. He didn't feel like he was in Carlos's level. I think last year he felt like he was in Carlos's level. Now he's got Daniel Ricciardo coming in, who I would say is arguably maybe a little bit quicker than Carlos Sainz. If he can step into this leading role that he seems to have at McLaren now and kind of take it by both hands and his performances stay the same, then I think he'll he'll keep the team where they should be. And they should be up there third. And it comes in a little bit to what I think is going to happen. I think the team that are in second are going to take a few points off the team that were in first last year. And hopefully it's going to be a bit of a closer title battle for one reason or the other. And by that account, that means there's going to be more points for McLaren to eat up and hopefully close the gap a little bit on second place. Yeah, and Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren, has said that that's what they want to do. They just want to close that gap a little bit. They've not set a target of a position. They just want to be able to be that little bit closer and be that little bit racier. And I think with Daniel and Lando, they'll definitely be able to do that. I think this is the move that Daniel wanted when he left Red Bull. Well, they both said that they had talks. I think McLaren probably weren't at the level he was hoping they'd be at, but then they've proved in the last two years that actually they're way above what they were in 2018. Yeah. If he pulled off podiums with Renault this year, I can see him getting at least one or two this season. Yeah, and McLaren had podiums last year, so now with a slightly more developed car and the Mercedes power, I don't think it'd be a surprise if we see either of them on the podium. But I think last season was a disappointing season for them in the respect that there were a couple of races where Mercedes and Red Bull didn't finish, so Sakir and Monza. And in the same way that we were saying, when that happens, Williams want to be there to sweep up the points, I feel like McLaren should have been there to sweep up the wins. I know Carlos got close. Yeah, he would have had it in Italy. The team tried to stop him going all out for it, and he was like, no, I want the win. And that was... That was perfect. Daniel Ricciardo, I think, would do the same. Lando, I'm not so sure. But then in Sakir as well, to be in that fight for third place and see three of your competitors on the podium, I think is disappointing. That's a fair point. They're clearly a team on the mend yeah. from where they were in 2018, 2017. So I guess it's the case of getting that consistency back. And I think hopefully that is something that we'll see this year. So, in second place in 2020 was Red Bull Racing. And I've said that they will come second again. Correct. Yes, I've also put second. <laughs> it's obviously an interesting year for them. They've got Sergio Perez joining the team, who's not from the Red Bull Young Driver program. But he is a proven race winner now. So, hopefully, he'll be there to sweep up these points that they should have been getting last year with Alex. Because they were another team where, like we said with Ferrari, where they didn't have two people fighting for that third and fourth place, which they needed. So hopefully they'll have that this year and that'll help them. Yeah, I think we were disappointed with Alex Albon last year. We really, I think everyone wanted him to do really well. After seeing what happened to him in Brazil, and then seeing the exact same thing happen in Austria in 2020. But then it just, 
seemed to fall off a cliff for him. But then the question is, was that the pressure or was it being in a car that has been designed around Max Verstappen for the last four years? Well, they've said that there was correlation issues throughout the year. If you're in your second season, having a car that the designer says has issues is clearly not a place you want to be in. So I think it was a struggle for him. And I also think knowing what happened to Pierre the year before is going to pile on the pressure and make you think, I need to perform, I need to perform. But then that didn't happen at the end of 2019. About half a season he had. He didn't get on the podium, but he had some good races. It just always seemed like he was falling back. So hopefully that'll mean that Red Bull have a more stable year. It's a shame that he's not going to be on the grid, but I think it would have been more of a shame if Checo wasn't on the grid. Yes, absolutely. Because he showed his mettle throughout the entirety of last season. I mean, he not only did he not look like he had a job this year, he also missed two races with COVID. Yeah, and he still finished fourth. That's insane. That is insane. So he finished fourth, he came 18th in Bahrain and had a retirement in Abu Dhabi. Apart from those three races, he finished in the points every single time. Which, I mean, you'd kind of expect, but Lance didn't do that. No, and he does look like the most excited driver in the lead-up to this year. Like Every video that Red Bull released, he just looks so happy to be in Milton Keynes. Which is a phrase no one has ever said before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've really got to hope that Honda pull out of the bag again and deliver a great power unit that they can build on what they had this year. The car, I can't see them not delivering a second, a championship contender car. That's the thing. The question is, do we think if Sergio Perez was in the car in 2020, would the title battle for Constructors Championship have been closer? Hopefully. But I don't know if it comes down to like an adaptability of driver style. Because he's been at Racing Point for seven years. So he's got very used to that style of car. So I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a few races for him to get used to the Red Bull. But then hopefully he's able to pick away at the Mercedes armour. Yeah, I hope so. Max won two races last year. So I don't expect Sergio Perez to win a race, which is mad. I don't expect him to win a race next season, even though he won one last year. I don't expect that to happen even though I just criticised McLaren for not winning a race last year. Uh, but it, it could. He's in a better position for it to happen. And this is the crazy thing as well. He finished fourth in the car that finished fourth. Is he going to improve on that? Is he actually going to challenge Max for third? I think it's going to be close between them. Also kind of what you want to see is 2021 is the year before everything changes. Let him go hell for leather. Yeah, I think there's a few teams where I'm like, just, just let him. Let's see what happens. You've got to respect him. He's been in the game for a long time. You won't have got him on the grid if you're going to ask him to sit behind Max Verstappen. No. You can do that with Alex Albon. You can do that with Pierre Gasly. You couldn't do that with Daniel Ricciardo. You can't do that with Sergio Perez. Yeah, this is the lineup that I've said is going to be the spiciest. The two of them are going to want to be fighting for basically the same position. And who comes out on top is going to be the question. Okay, so we've not picked driver predictions. But let's do it for Red Bull. Who do you think is going to finish higher, Sergio or Max? I think Max is going to finish higher, but purely because Checo's probably going to have the first few races to get used to the car. You know what? I'm going to say Sergio's going to beat Max, because otherwise this will be a terribly boring watch or listen for anyone. <laughs> so the first place team last year was, surprisingly, Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula 1 team. You are obviously going to finish first again this year. Yeah. It's inevitable, isn't it, really? Yes, I've said. It seems unlikely that there will be much change here 
if at all. That is a very delicate way of putting it. I think Lewis is going to be their man again. Valtteri's probably going to win Bahrain and then not anything else. This is the only thing I can see going wrong from Mercedes. Valtteri buckles under the pressure because he's actually under pressure this season. Because who is going to be driving for Mercedes in 2022? Potentially neither of them. So let's imagine a world that Lewis Hamilton signs up for 2022. Let's just say that that happens. Who's going to be in the other seat? I really don't know. On the one hand, everyone wants to see George in the seat. Big yep. Absolutely. On the other hand, having George in the seat, you've got the elder statesman in Lewis that knows what he's doing is out to win races all the time. And then you've got George that's wanting to make a name for himself is in a world championship car, wants to win a world championship. And I don't know if you're in a team that has proven by having a solid number one and a solid number two, you're just unstoppable. If you then want to have a number one and a scrappy wants to be number one. So this is the position that Toto Wolff finds himself in, isn't it? Because if Valtteri doesn't take the fight to Lewis this year, then that's fine. Like, Mercedes won't if George Russell didn't exist, Mercedes wouldn't care because they're still going to win the title. Lewis is still going to be world champion. The only person that's kind of caught up about it is Valtteri Bottas. And now this pressure has come on. George Russell is lying in wait to come and take the other seat because it's kind of destiny almost. But why Why would Valtteri not be there if he's playing the supporting role? Yeah, and it's like, who would want the number two seat and would Valtteri still want the number two seat if it wasn't Lewis? Like if Max came in, is Valtteri going to want to be the number two to Max? I think that's what the the scenario could end up being. Not Max and Valtteri Bottas. That would be something else. Lewis winning the eighth title, calling it a day, and then George coming in, and there not being a number one, number two driver dynamic, just George and Valtteri going for it. And I think that would be an interesting season because you would be losing an element of quality because Lewis Hamilton is clearly the greatest driver on the grid. But the competition element and the entertainment and the battle for that number one spot would be so much higher. But if you're Mercedes, you're not there for the entertainment. You're there to win. It's a shame because we've got to the top two of this and it's just boring because Mercedes are going to win. And then we started talking about like what we want to happen to Mercedes in 2022. When actually that is going to be the more interesting thing. When it really is gloves off cards off the table we don't know anything about the cars that are going to turn up in australia even if it should be Abu Dhabi, uh, for race one in 2022 and we really do just have the drivers and that's it williams could really smash it with development for this new car and find a loophole in the regulations like braun did and shoot their way up we just don't know and what i'm saying is we need to keep this going for another year and it'll be spicy as hell to run through my top 10 for the year, I went with Haas, Williams, Alpha, Romeo, Alpha Tauri, Ferrari, Racing Point, McLaren, Alpine, Red Bull, Mercedes. So I've gone Haas, Williams, Alpha, Romeo, Alpha Tauri, Alpine, Aston Martin, Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, Mercedes. It's quite nice that our, your spiciest take is Ferrari and my spiciest take is Alpine. Oh, we've wasted like the last two hours. <laughs> Uh, and if we wasted the last two hours, I don't know how much you wasted the last two hours if you've watched this, but thanks anyway. <laughs> we may be back. <laughs> don't forget to like, review and subscribe. <laughs> for more middle of the road average takes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>